Jeremiah chapter 29. You almost know what verse it's going to be without me telling you, don't you? (laughs) Eleven, Joyce is right. It must be one of your favorite ones, eh? So Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. Just about everyone is interested in their future. What will it hold? What will be the outcome? How will our tomorrows pan out? Will I meet the right person? Will I marry? Will I have children? Will my career take an upturn? Will my business prosper? Will my job last? Will my health hold out? Will my ministry prosper and succeed and multiply? There are so many uncertainties in this life, isn't there? There are so many challenges and changes. So many things that we have got to overcome. And there will be new horizons, new door openings, changes for the good mountaintops to climb and perhaps maybe a valley or two to go through. Whenever we're young, of course, uh, uh, we don't think much about our future. We probably think about a week or a month in advance. But whenever you get old, then you find that not only you're thinking a little bit more ahead in time, but you're also thinking of eternity. So why is God that hides most of our future from us, is it not? Because that means then that we've got to trust Him daily. Give us this day our daily bread. Sufficient unto today is its evils. Which is another reason why Jesus said we're not to worry. However, for the Christian, we is, there is a distinct advantage. We may not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. We may not know what the future holds, and in that respect, we're no different than anybody else. But we do know who holds the future, and that makes a world of difference. Life for us is not a mystery tour. It's not groping in the dark. We're not aimless or drifting. We're not counting on luck or happenstance. We have purpose There is a pathway that we're on. We're on a journey in Christ. We have direction in our lives. We believe that God is in control of our lives. Amen. Amen. We believe that His will is being accomplished in us. Here are some of the things that you can be absolutely certain about your future. Things that you can know for sure. Look as far as into your future as you possibly can. Look even beyond time and into eternity. And the fact of it is, the further you look, the brighter it becomes. The further you look into your future, the brighter, the better, the more glorious it becomes. That doesn't mean to say there won't be days of some pain and some rain. 
It doesn't mean there won't be challenges and changes. But what it does mean is, as some saint says, that our future is as bright as the promises of God. And as long as we have God's promises for our future, then it will be bright. And the Bible is full of promises for us. Hudson Taylor, that great extraordinary missionary to China, one time he was going through a particularly difficult time financially on the mission field. And he wrote a letter to his wife. And in the letter he says, I have 25 cents and all the promises of God. <laughs> and that was all he needed. And God honored that man even to this day. His work still continues. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God is planning the very best for you. That's the first certainty you can know about your future. If you believe that your life is in His hands, you can be absolutely sure that He is planning the best future that you possibly could have. And I want God's best. I don't know about you. I don't want second best. I want His best. And as long as I walk before Him, then I can be assured tonight, according to the Word of God, that His plans for me are good. They're not for evil, to give me a future and to give me a hope. Amen. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord, your God, is in your midst. The Mighty One will save. He will quiet you with His love. Isn't that a lovely sentence? He will quiet you with his love. He will comfort you. He will bring peace into your life in his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And so your future is wonderful. Your future is bright. And then secondly, your future, it is to some degree bound up in your past. Say, David, what do you mean by that? Well, if I sow a seed today, that seed will someday become part of my future. So as I go on, having sowed my seed, as I go on, that which is in my past will have some degree of say for my future. So in other words, my life's choices and decisions will to some degree shape my future. Now, that doesn't mean to say I'm captain of my own soul. I'm not talking about fatalism here. But it does mean that what I do as a believer particularly, because I'm talking to believers tonight, that what I do the seeds that I sow, the actions I take, the words I say, all of that together will influence my future in Christ. It absolutely will. We believe that God is overall. We believe that God can and does shape our future. There's no question about that. But we also believe that there's things that we do and we say and how we live will certainly have a big influence uh, on our future. In Luke chapter 12, 
It talks about a man. In fact, we should look at that. Luke chapter 12. Verse 16 of Luke 12. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. Notice the eyes. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now here's a man, even though he didn't know it, that by his actions, which were all self, I, 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 my, my, mine, all of it related to himself. And here he was not knowing that what he was doing was going to shape his future, not in the way he thought, perhaps, he was going to eat, drink, and be merry, he was going to take his ease, but he never got the chance to do that. And so the Bible warns us by little parables like this that what we do right now is going to affect our future. What we have done in the past is going to affect our future. The decisions we make, the choices we make, the things that we do, the course that we set, all of that together is going to have an effect on our future. And let's trust and believe that what we do and what we say and the actions that we take will be good and will have a good positive effect on our future, not like that particular man we just read about. Be not deceived, Paul says in Galatians 6. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So what are we sowing? How are we sowing? What are we sowing into? Are we sowing into the flesh? Are we sowing into the spirit? And it depends what we're sowing into will shape the future of our lives. And Paul here is telling them, do not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. He says if he sows to his flesh, he will reap corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he will reap everlasting lasting life. So in clear, simple words, Paul's saying that what we do today, somehow or other, our future is bound up with our past. What we do today will be our past tomorrow, but it's bound up in our future, isn't it? And then that's why he says in verse 9, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so if we are sowing to the Spirit, and we continue to sow to the we say, well, how do I sow to the Spirit? You sow to the Spirit through prayer, through worship, through getting to know God's Word, through being in the house of God, through fellowshipping with the saints. All of these things is sowing to the Spirit. 
And even if there's periods when it seems like you're getting nothing back, you're putting everything in and you're getting nothing in return. It may seem that way sometimes, but he says, don't be deceived by any of that. He says, keep on sowing and you surely will reap if you do not lose heart and you don't faint and you don't quit and you don't give up. So many believers has quit the race. I often say that backsliders is the biggest denomination in Northern Ireland, isn't it? So many has given up the fight and they've given up the race and they've quit. Had they kept going and going and going, surely they would have reaped if they had not fainted. Abraham Lincoln said, the good thing about your future is that it comes one day at a time. <laughs> Aren't you glad for that? There's no saying if we take care of the pennies, the pounds will take care of themselves. So in other words, if we take care of the daily things in our spiritual lives, then our spiritual future will be secure if we take care of the daily things. In Luke 19, Jesus tells a parable about a nobleman who went away to set up a kingdom. And before he went away, he got ten of his servants and he gave them a mina each. And he says, occupy until I come. Do business, that means, until I come. And then when he came back again, he asked those servants how they had occupied. Had they been dedicated? Had they been good at what they should do? Had they occupied? Had they done business? And one says, here, Lord, here's ten minus. Another says, here, Lord, here's five minus. Another one says, I thought you were a hard man, so I took it and I wrapped it up in a napkin and I hid it. <laughs> and that nobleman wasn't very pleased with him. It's like the story of the parable of the pounds. It's almost the same. He said, you should have done something with it. You should have made something out of it. At least give it to the bank. You get some interest in the thing. So in other words, that we have got to take each day and occupy until he comes, whenever that may be. In other words, make every day count spiritually. Now there's days we're better at that than others. Let's be honest, isn't there? But let's try to make it our business as much as we can in this human flesh that we're in to say, Lord, today... I'm going to make this day count for the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no man can work. And so we've got a limited time span, haven't we? And none of us knows what our time span is going to be. But it's limited, we know that, and it won't last forever in this earth, and we certainly know that. So each day is an opportunity, each day has a possibility, each day is a chance to do something in the kingdom of God, whatever that may be. Mark's gospel, out of the four gospels, betrays Christ as a tireless servant. The key words in Mark's gospel are straightway, immediately, forthwith, 41 times it says those words, straightway, immediately, forthwith. And even though Jesus was, could we say, cool, calm, and collected, yet he made himself very, very busy in the kingdom of God. 
He knew his time on earth was limited. And he was going to make sure that everything he had planned to do, that he would get it done. And so your future to some degree is bound up in your past. Your choices or decisions or actions or deeds or words or attitudes, all of this that we're sowing right now will be our past tomorrow, but it all will lead to our future. And it will change and shape our future. And so that's why we've got to live for Christ. Only one life will soon be passed. What does it say? Only what? Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's the truth. You know, we were thinking the other day, Fanai and us, we were talking about our passing of her dad. And of course, he was elderly. And, you know, when you look around, there's not much left. Particularly that generation. Like my mother and father, you know, when they died, nothing. Nothing. Just wee bits and pieces that was in their home. But it wouldn't matter if they'd been multi-millionaires. It wouldn't matter if they had 10 cars and two yachts and an airplane. We had no difference. Not one brass farthing is going to go with us. Nothing. Naked we come into the world. Naked we will leave the world. That's what the scriptures say. So it's only what's done for Christ will last. And so let's make sure as much as possible that every day that we sow a seed for Christ, that we do something for eternity, something for the kingdom of God, because that is going to affect our future. And then thirdly, and this may seem obvious, but you have a future. Not everybody believes that. You have a future. The suicide rate in Northern Ireland for young people is frightening. The statistics are through the roof. And I'm talking young people. I'm talking adolescents and teenagers who feel that they have no future. For them, there is no future. Or they fear their future. They're dreading it. So much to the point where they don't want to live another moment. It's hard to understand that unless you were in that position. And there's been hundreds of them that have taken their own life because they couldn't see a future. They had no dreams. They had no hopes. They felt they had no future. And that's sad and tragic, isn't it? I know there's organizations, I know there's church para-ministries and church ministries that are trying to reach out to those particular areas, especially North Belfast, for whatever reason, North Belfast is rife with it, and are trying to reach out into those young lives and say, look, there is a future. You can make it. It's not always going to be like this. But so many have signed out of this life and has given up. And then there's some people who are just chronically pessimistic. I mean, the glass for them is never half full. It's only ever half empty. That's just the way they seem to be. Every chin is in the minor key. Every color is gray. None of their stories have ever a happy ending. And so as far as their future is concerned, it's not too bright, is it? 
Somebody says a pessimist is someone who is seasick during the entire voyage of life. Two pessimists met. Instead of shaking hands, they shook heads. <laughs> George Bernard Shaw says that the optimist invented the airplane, the pessimist, the parachute. <laughs> Somebody says the difference between an optimist and a pessimist is the optimist sees the donut and the pessimist only sees the whole. <laughs> but there's a serious point. There's people who are habitually, chronically pessimistic. And they don't feel there's any future. But thank God as believers tonight, and I hope that you're not pessimistic as a believer, but thank God as believers that we do have a future. And it's a future that's not only in this life, but it's a future in the next life. Listen to the scripture, Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life. You see, we have future in time and we have future in eternity. You will show me the path of life. That's future in time. Your presence, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's future in eternity. And that's ours. So right now, to the end of this life and this earth, we have a future, and then all of eternity, we have a future that's even brighter and even greater. 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's Paul's future in time. But then he goes on to say, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. That's Paul's future in eternity. If you read through the New Testament carefully, you will see that the New Testament writers constantly, constantly points us to eternity. Because obviously the greatest part of our life is going to be lived in eternity. This is just a blink, isn't it, really? It's just a blink and it's over. And then there's eternity of eternities. Thank God that we have a future in time, but also in eternity. It must be sad for those who have no future in time and they don't feel they have a future in eternity. That would be a sad thing, wouldn't it? But this is the great hope of the believer, isn't it? So while we're talking about our future, let me remind you about the difference between destiny and God's will for your life, because there is a difference. Because oftentimes when you talk about your future, we, we talk about our destiny. But there is a difference between our destiny and God's will for our lives. Now, Roy, Roy Leeson, uh, an author who does a lot of devotional material, he made a comment about this uh, some time ago that I, I find very enlightening and uh, very, very helpful. And so, uh, and I'll condense it for you. And here's what he said We think of destiny as something we are to pursue to reach for like a goal or a dream or accomplishment. Yet, 
Once we find Christ, once we're found in Christ, we have actually found our destiny, for our destiny is Christ. You were born to be born again. That is your destiny. It is not some kind of elusive will-of-the-wisp thing. We think that if I reach my goal, accomplish that task, fulfill that dream, then I will have reached my destiny. But actually, if we are in Christ, we have already reached our destiny. So in that sense, destiny is the same for all of us, if we're believers. But what is different for each of us is the will of God. So hold on to the thought for a moment. He's on to say, you see, the will of God may be for someone to serve God in a public way, in a highly visible way. But for you, it may be to quietly serve Him in the background, in the shadows. For some, it may be a highly gifted, and they may be highly gifted and do amazing exploits. But for you, it may be to raise a godly family and run your home well. So for some, it's public and visible. For others, it's quiet, unnoticed, behind the scenes. Trouble is, though, he goes on to say, if you think your destiny is a great goal, a big accomplishment, a fantastic dream, and the will of God happens to be for you, raising kids, working behind the scenes, and doing stuff that never gets a mention, then you might end up thinking that you've missed your destiny and you resent the will of God. You have to think of that, don't you? So what he's saying is once you find Christ, once you are found in Christ, that is your destiny. God had planned that for you. That's your destiny in Christ. But His will, and that's the same for every single one of us, to be born again. You were born to be born again, he said. But the will of God is different for all of us, specifically. There's a general will of God that we come to church, we read the Word of God, we pray, we worship. That's general to every believer. But specifically, particularly, there's an individual will of God for each of us. And he says, if you think that's your destiny, then you may be disappointed because that may be just the will of God. You already found your destiny. And so we talk about our future. And we talk about our destiny. And we talk about the will of God. Let's believe that in Christ we have found our destiny. Once we have found our destiny, then he begins to reveal his will to us specifically and individually. And let's begin to carry that out. No matter how great or small, whether it's public or private, whether it's in the pulpit or in the pew, let's do the will of God. All believers wrestle with the thought, I suppose, what is God's plan for my life? How can I know what it is? How can I be sure that's what it is? Anybody ever have those thoughts other than me? I think we've all had them, haven't we? Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5, and we're almost finished. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in truth and teach me. Verse 8 and 9. 
He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. So in other words, I believe personally, I never worry an awful lot about the will of God. My concern is to follow the Lord the best I know how and then He will reveal His will to me. He will show me His ways. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And that takes the worry and the anxiety and the fear of it. Lord, I'm doing all I know to do. I'm trying to walk the best I know how. If there's anything else I should know, Lord, let me know. Let me know. Lois is not here tonight. Lois is over in England. Her daughter got married yesterday. And she spent a few days there. But I'm not telling tales out of her cell group. We try not to do that. But she wouldn't mind me saying this. But uh, I thought it was, it was a good thing she said that you know that Lois tries every year to go on a mission somewhere. And so she'll look around and she'll think about this one and that one. And then she'll choose one and she'll say, Well, Lord, here's a need. Uh, and I can help fulfill this need. I, I can do this. So Lord, I'm going to do it and if you don't want me to do it, stop me. And that saves you months and months of worrying. Should I do it? Should I not do it? I can do it. There's a need there. I'd love to do this. So Lord, if there's any reason why I shouldn't do this, then let me know and if there isn't, I'm going to go ahead. Simple, isn't it? Not too difficult. If we're humble before him, if we say, Lord, your will be done. And if this isn't your will, then show me what it is, and by your grace I'll do that. But meanwhile, I'll just go on every day, knowing to do what I know to do, doing the general will of God, and if there's a specific will of God that I don't know, then Lord, you show me, and with the best that I can do, I will do that for your honor and for your glory. So there's certain things about your future. There's things that are absolutely sure about your future. And one of the greatest things is trusting and knowing that God is planning the very best for you. And that's why it's good to put ourselves in His hands, isn't it? It's not hard to put yourself in the hand of somebody who loves you, who cares about you, who loves you so much that he gave his son to die for you. What harm could there be in putting your life into that one's hands? And so God is a gracious God. He's a good God. He's a wonderful God. We should not fear putting our lives into his hands. Whatever is in our future, he already knows that. Nothing that will ever happen to us will surprise him. He's already there. He's in our tomorrow before we rise up in the morning. So we can trust him every single day day of our lives and if something happens that we're not expecting we can say Lord you knew all about this now Lord lead me the rest of my life you may say well I don't know how I'm going to do this or how I'm going to handle this Lord but you know because you knew it was coming so Lord you've got a way for me to do this you've got grace for me in this situation you've got hope and help for me today in this situation and then we trust him and as we trust him then he leads us and he guides us because his plans, Jeremiah says, for us are good to give us what a hope and a future. Glory to God. Amen. Let's pray.